Good morning. morning. Welcome to class. Um, My name is Wendell Moses. I'm filling in for Tim today. He's in York, Pennsylvania at a meeting and a couple presentations there. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise to be with us when we're together. May we honor you, be with our words. May we help those who are around us know you better. Amen. So our lesson today is number seven, covering Matthew 24 and 25. I have to first begin with a comparison between Russell, who presents sometimes, and myself, and Tim. A couple of weeks ago, Russell gave the presentation, or several weeks ago, and, and he said that he had about 20 minutes of material, and it took a lot of discussion to help fill out the material. He usually comes with five pages in addition to the quarterly. Tim typically comes with 25 pages in addition to the quarterly. I have somewhere in the middle, and, I, and I'd like to read a passage from Exodus 16, 15 through 18. It's talking about the manna and how God gave manna, and they went out and they had to pick up the manna. And it says, Moses said to them, this is the food that the Lord has given you to eat. The Lord has commanded that each of you is to gather as much as he needs Two quarts for each member of the household. The Israelites did this, some gathering more, others less. When they measured it, those who gathered much did not have too much, and those who gathered less did not have too little. Each had gathered just what he needed. Hopefully that's true today. <laughs> so, okay, so our memory text for today is Matthew twenty four twenty four, For false messiahs, And false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Beginning with Sabbath afternoon's um, lesson, um, it's a discussion of basically um, the story was, you know, there had been a triumphant entry into Jerusalem with the disciples, praising God, knowing that they're going to crown Christ as king. And then during the week, he went to the temple Okay, And as he's leaving the temple, they say, you know, in this idea of grandeur and kingship and messiahship and all this, all these great ideas they had, they came to Christ and saying, look at this magic, mag- magnificent temple. And he said, sorrowful. You know, you'd like to hear his voice in how he said this. But he said, you know, not one stone is going to be upon another. This whole place is going to be destroyed. And so they came to him on the Mount of Olives saying, Hey, what's going to happen? When is it going to happen? What's going on? And so he, he over, the, over the chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, he first gives an outline of some of the bad things that are going to happen and sequences and whatnot. And then in 25, continuing that same discourse, he gives several parables to illustrate the readiness of his people for his coming and for, for us and for the destruction of Jerusalem for them. Okay? So um, he answered their question and then he gave some parables and if, if heeded, the parables would prepare his followers for whatever they were to face. The destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, if that's when they lived, or for us, um, his coming. And um, I have, um, 
angst over this topic. You know, when I first saw that I was assigned these two chapters, I thought, hey, piece of cake, you know. But, you know, this has caused me great concern and fear when I was growing up. My mother um, was a product of a fearful generation. And, he, and she engendered fear in her children. She would huddle us around and tell us how we're to get prepared for the coming crisis. And um, I didn't know how my little legs were going to carry me from wherever I was in Florida to wherever I was supposed to go in the mountains. Because there was no mountains around me. You know? And um, anyway. So, uh, starting with Sunday's lesson. The text of, the, of Sunday was Matthew 24, 1 through 25 in which Christ goes through a list of things that were going to happen. And in the second paragraph, um, it says, Christ is concerned with the deceptions that will confuse his people through the ages and into the end of time. Why? Why is he concerned with the deceptions? Okay. Anything that takes away from the truth, from, from being sucked in to any type of um, disillusionment, any type of um, sidetrack, rabbit trails. Okay. Is he concerned with deceptions? What is he concerned about? His people. The effect of that on their hearts. His children. He saw Eden, what happened when, when Eve believed the lie and Adam followed along with her. Okay. He, he saw the, the trans consequences, the deterioration of the human race, the human genome, the, the uh, everything from the, you know, humans, nature, the weather, everything. The, the, the belief in a lie breaks the circle of love and trust, leads to self-seeking behaviors, et cetera, et cetera. We, we all know the cycle. Is he just concerned about his believers? If he truly is the God who we believe him to be, he's also concerned about the pain and suffering that his misguided children will suffer. He wishes that all become repentant. He wants a relationship with everyone. You know, and we'll get this farther on down, but, you know, um, some of the passages leading to the, the term endurance or perseverance of the saints has to do with not what they're going through, but what the wicked are going through that they are witnessing. So, anyway. Um, now, the third paragraph, see, one, two, three. Um, we have seen a sad but powerful confirmation of the Word of God. All through history and even in our day, deceivers have indeed come, saying, I am the Christ. What a remarkable prophecy. Living in the time we do, we can survey the long centuries of history and see, in ways those who lived in Christ's time couldn't, just how accurate that prediction was. I have questions about this concept, okay? Have you been tempted to believe in a false Christ? Oh, yeah. Before knowing him. What is a false Christ? Now, Christ meant the anointed one. Okay? How was Christ the anointed one? What made him the anointed one? When was he anointed? 
Well, prophetically, we think of him being anointed at the time of his baptism. Okay. The dove came down, Holy Spirit anointed him. Okay. And so that was a dramatic demonstration that he was the anointed one for those who believed. Now, some saw something they didn't know what they heard, something they didn't know what, and they really didn't believe. Okay. So, who else in the history of our maybe current and our past has been anointed? Now, okay, so I was born a defective baby back in the era in which we didn't have NICUs and all that sort of stuff. And through a set of what I believe to be clearly unusual circumstances, I think they're miracles, but they're at least extremely unusual circumstances, I was healed. Okay, have lived a fairly normal life, I think. Um, and I was anointed as the initial event. Okay? Is it important by whom you are anointed? I see some nods. Daughter was born with a deformity, and I went to my church and asked them for anointing, and they said no. Because they said they didn't have faith for that. Okay. I'm sorry. The reason I said that is it seems like it has to have somebody that has faith needs to do it. Okay, so someone who has faith needs to do it. Can you do an anointing? I can. Okay. What gives you or some other entity the power of anointing? Someone. Well, I think it's in James where it says, you know, if someone is sick, then the elders should come and anoint. Okay, so in James it says the elders should do it, whoever they are. Okay? Now, how did they become an elder? Were they anointed? Okay. So. Jesus laid out in Timothy for the qualifications of both bishops or. Okay. And that's how you selected them, but then how were they des- designated as, as anointed? Um, I don't want to go too through my uh, circumstances or whatever, but at one time I was ordained an elder in my local church. As the church progressed through a, sis- a series of changes in that church, I was invited never to come back to board meeting. Okay. <laughs> Did I cease to become anointed? No, but if you were the voice of truth, that may have created some discomfort. <laughs> I had been asked to speak on behalf of one group who was in political conflict with another group, and so as the one group was asked to leave, I stayed, but I was asked not to participate in the leadership. You know, So that's kind of a cryptic way of describing what happened, but anyway. All right. So, does it make a difference for what purpose you're anointed? What will help us determine if an anointed one is false? Does the type of ceremony help us determine if it's false? Is the one who anoints the other person important? Now, I asked this question before, and there was some nods and yeses and stuff, etc., but... The one who anoints, is that a sign that the person who has been anointed is okay? 
Okay. How about the how about the qualifications of the one who is anointed? Russell mentions qualifications of an elder. Okay. Or the qualifications of the person who's doing the anointing. If we look at biblical examples uh, in the Old Testament, often it was the prophets who would anoint either another prophet, like I think Elijah ended up anointing Elisha, and as well as some other kings. Samuel anointed uh, David as king. So, you know, there was a precedence. Anointing wasn't, we think of anointing now sometimes as for healing, but anointing was really for a mission that someone... Yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm getting to, is, is the person who, the false Christ, are not being healed or whatever. They're, they're the anointed false, you know, being the anointed ones, they, they are coming to us as being anointed of by something, someone, some purpose, or whatever, and they are then presenting a message. And I'm trying to come to the conclusion of how do we decide if that message, that Christ, that person, has a message from God or no, doesn't? Russell? I don't have any specific reference to Lucifer possibly being anointed as the... Uh yeah. The light bearer, the first of all creation. Came from the presence of came God. From the very presence of God himself. And and yet decided uh, on a different pathway and started spreading lies. Uh, Christ's anointing on earth, his baptism, was not for God's benefit. It wasn't for Christ's benefit. It was for the benefit of those watchings. So that they, they, they took note and said, hmm, maybe this guy has something beneficial to us. Maybe, maybe we should listen to him. And think for ourselves. Thinking about the sequence of things, I'm not certain that the anointing by the Holy Spirit in the physical form that it was wasn't for Christ, because shortly thereafter, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for, yeah. and he had to depend on evidences given before that to know that truly he was the Son of God. I mean, can you imagine? Someone has told you that you are God? I just can't fathom that. But okay? But he, he, he knew, you know, he, he tells his parents when he, when, when he got lost, when he got left in Jerusalem, I must be about my father's business. So yeah, you're right. That, that must have been an overwhelming prospect from an early age. And so, you know, he, I'm sure he had doubts and, and concerns like every human. So speaking of that, do physical manifestations or miraculous whatevers help to verify the anointing? No, Satan can perform miracles. Okay. So how did Christ know that this anointing by this dove was the real thing? I think he had a confirmation to the people around him. I believe he knew... Okay. So if if you had Christ anoint you, would that be good? Okay? Would that be a sign that you are a follower of him? And that you and that you could be trusted. If if after he anointed you, you performed miracles and went out and preached, would that be a good sign? Depends on what you preach. <laughs> He chose 12. He anointed all 12. 
He sent out all 12. All 12 preached, performed miracles, and came back to him. All 12. Judas was part of that group. And yet, he had a devil. Not that early. So he was pure up until the night. As pure as the other guys were. None of them were as pure as pure. Okay. How about, how about Simon Magus? You know, he was the guy that Paul, you know, he, he saw Paul and those guys doing wonderful things. He had been doing wonderful things. He had been doing some magic. Okay. He had physical manifestations of superpowers. Okay? And he wanted the Holy Spirit superpower. And so he came and offered money for the privilege of having not only his superpower, but another superpower. So, I mean, he had the magic, you know. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do because he told Judas right there that he knew what he was going to do. Okay. He talked to his father all the time. So I'm sure the angels and his own father discussed with him what was going to happen. I don't think Jesus didn't have any foreknowledge. And I don't, I, I think we can have foreknowledge if we talk to God. God tells us things. We can't have foreknowledge. Okay. So even with Judas being anointed, I think that Christ gives everyone a chance. There's not one person on this earth that Christ does not love. He died for us all. He's willing. Amen. You know, and I mean, we all can make that choice. Anybody okay. can be anointed, but it's our choice whether we're called. I'm concerned in this discussion on how we know who we listen to and who we don't. Yes. My concern with that is also you have the twelve, you had them anointed, but you also had Satan. Uh, you had Christ say to Peter, "Oh, and point, get thee behind me, Satan." So I think simply the act of anointing does not make for a perfect human being. So that any of us in the entire globe needs to take whatever anyone is saying into a full context. How does it mesh with reality? What you know God to be what you see in nature, what you see in science, all the rest. How does what they are saying or teaching mesh with the the overall um, God that you know? So that we are not just taking that, oh, they're anointed by God, everything they say must be absolutely truth and follow without a mind engaged. Um, so anointing hopefully calls that individual into a deep, dedicated, focused life of allowing the Holy Spirit to be your internal motivation of unselfish love to speak to others and to be able to share that message and to share healing and to share, um, uh, be that conduit. But God does not, again, override the individual's human choice. And if the individual chooses selfish pursuits and selfish motivations of wanting another superpower for one's own benefit or whatever, then that is the, that is the element that can't be trusted. So, as in Hebrews 5 and 6, by 
by practice, we determine what we what we believe and what we don't. Yeah, and and also um, we can use those people who are anointed to as benefit. But what do we do with that information? We test it. We try it. Um, we test the spirits. We um, etc. Um, now, I, in my personal experience, I don't think I've ever met a false Christ. Okay? A person who proclaimed themselves to be Christ. Well, I don't think I've ever done that. Um, now, it says false Christ and false prophets. The word prophet is for anyone that preaches or gives a message. In fact, it was used for poets, because poets in that time were thought to be inspired of God. And so a poet was a prophet in that, or that word meant a poet, a preacher, or whatever. We, we take it a false prophet as in a, someone who's not telling the truth for forward events. Okay? And yet, really, it's anyone who's proclaiming a message whether, you know, that's not true. So, um, in the understanding of eschatology of what's going to happen in the last days, um, it's, it's my understanding that Christ is going to be impersonated by someone else. You know, and Christ mentions these false people who are going to be coming to say that they are Christ. Um, what are the characteristics of a false Christ that will tip you off to the lie or deception? Is the location of the person's feet anything to do with your confidence? Yes and no. Okay? I have to say that if Lucifer is the smartest created being in the universe, do you think his trick or temptation and false ideas will have much to do with where his feet are when you see him? Okay? In the, in the temptation in the wilderness, that Christ went through. Lucifer came as an angel of light quoting scripture. Okay? That's intimidating. Um, Christ said in Matthew 24, 24, the text of the, of the, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear. They will perform great miracles and wonders in order to deceive even God's chosen people, if possible. I love that, if possible. Yeah. So, the indication to me is that, that it won't be possible because there will be a group of people at that time who are so settled in the truth about God's character, His, his methods, His laws, His ways and means, that they will not be able to be moved. It will not be possible to deceive them. So um, she mentioned um, some things that she was holding to to, to de- determine the difference, etc. So what are the things that I should be using as my filter to knock off false ideas? Bible-based? But again, we mentioned that Lucifer came quoting Scripture. No coercion, because coercion is not one of God's principles. Okay. <coughs> Other-centered love, the manner of coming, whether, whether his feet touch the ground, no. Um, 
you know, he's not the secret place. He's not um, whatever. Christ mentioned that. The goals of the individual. What is the goals that they are looking out for? Okay. Any any others that you can think of? Galatians one eight and nine. Paul says if. If anyone comes, even a, a messenger from heaven, with another gospel, unfortunately, he didn't mention what his gospel was. And now, if you ask someone what the gospel is, you'll get 10 different answers. Okay? Had a brief discussion. Last Sabbath, I was um, over at Sevierville in a, a cabin with several other families um, celebrating a birthday, a, a significant birthday, and a member of one of them. And... Um, we had this discussion of Sabbath school class and whatnot there and this, these group of individuals, etc. And um, it was amazing the difference between each of our versions of what the gospel was. Okay? And I will have to say that the gospel depends upon where you are. If you're drowning, your gospel is different than if you're in the middle of a fire. If you're in the middle of a fire, you want a lot of water. Okay? If you're drowning, you don't want it. So um, I think that um, the gospel, to some degree, depends upon where we are and what we're being saved from at that particular instant. Now, it might not be the universal unifying principle, but it is the gospel to that individual. Okay? Yes. Just before you were asking the emblems of that to discern. Yes. I like this one. How they treat people who disagree with them. How they treat their enemies. And that I think will be distinctive for Christ versus virtually any other being that isn't filled with self-sacrificing love. You, you you read ahead in my 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 um, thing because in, um, that was on page five, okay. Um, in that past weekend, um, with with friends in the cabin, um, someone spoke up and and had a different view of the God of the Old Testament that I recoiled from. And I spoke so forcefully that my wife had to pat me on the knee and say, Wendell, knowledge does not change behavior, remember? And I think she was talking about my behavior. Because my knowledge had not changed my behavior toward that person who was saying bad things about my God. Okay? And I could have been more Christ-like in my demeanor, in my repartee, uh, in my graciousness to that individual for what they had to say about my God. You know? And truly this individual I know believes in God. You know? And, and truly, I think, probably is on their own path to the same place I am. But um, they're not at the same place in that one little thing and I did not give them grace, you know. So that's I, I think that's a, a key element of how we how prophet or Messiah or whatever will treat those that disagree with them. There's a caveat to that, however. Yes, Jesus was not kind or 
gracious to the Pharisees. Okay, I, I, I happen to be a person who appreciates a little old lady that lived a long time ago that I used to hate, okay? And in her statements about his, discuss, his criticisms of the Pharisees, he said, there were tears in his voice when he uttered his most scathing rebukes. I don't know how that looks always, okay? And it could have been, you lousy beings, how can you be doing this to your fellow beings, okay? As opposed to, you know, I mean, the descriptions that some people have of him cleansing the temple are different than mine, okay? And at some point, we're going to get to see that video. And um, that, I think, will be pretty special. Um, Because I think he did have the attributes of, of God always, and yet, now, Anyway, let, 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 parents treat their children differently based on what they need. Depending on the child, depending on the situation, depending on the age. I mean, to, to say that, to say that um, he treated the Pharisees you know, with uh, loathing or, or um, disrespectfully or with hatred or something, I, I have to, I have to take issue with that. I, I think, I think he was trying to get their attention. I think he was trying to arrest their. The, the path and get them to rest their journey on the path they were on and, and turn in a different direction because he knew, he saw down through the balls of, of time what would happen if they continued in pursuit of their pathway. He also spoke about ideas that he disagreed with yeah. um, maybe more than the people. Right. And he had been uh, building this relationship of attempting truth for over 20 years at that point, from the age of 12 up to his ministry, as he had you know, tried to reach out. So this was not his, his initial foray into the relationship of, of the whip. It was um, that they were seriously misguiding his other people and, and misrepresenting God. Yes. Tim has mentioned several times about your child, and it doesn't have to be a three-year-old. It could be your 31-year-old child going down the driveway on a bicycle and a car's coming and he doesn't see it. Are you just going to say, oh, honey, there's a car coming? No, you're going to express yourself because you've loved him. Yes. As far as him having to correct anyone, God always loves the sinner but hates our sin. So he's going to address the sin even though... He, he loves all of us because we're all I'll have to uh, admit that at camp meeting, I much more enjoyed the first half of the story than I did the end of the story. And many of these conversion stories, you know, they'd have these, I don't know if you went to camp meeting where, you know, they had these conversion stories. These people were terrible and, and did all these terrible things, etc. And then they, they converted and they became a Christian. And I always went for the first part. I didn't go for the last part, you know. <laughs> so, you know, we have to be careful about what we listen to. Yeah, what we listen to. As far as uh, Jesus uh, rebukes to the Pharisees, that was also for the sake of the people to sort of, they had been um, trained to respect these uh, leaders and do whatever they said, and he wanted them to know that they didn't need to follow them anymore. And he did say, they sit in the seat of Moses, so do whatever they say, but don't do what they do. Okay? He also did that.
So um, how can you prepare for determining the counterfeit? Number one, concentrate on the original. Okay? It does not help to concentrate on a phony if that's not the phony we're going to be given to examine. You know, um, there's something called the Maginot Line. Know what that is? In World War I, the Germans and the French fought for long periods of time in trenches on French soil. And the French said, not again. So, at the cost of three billion francs, they built a line of fortification across their eastern border between France and Germany that was impervious to air, air bombing, to ground assault, to everything. It was perfect. Okay? But, it ended at Belgium because no one's going to come through a forest. Okay? And um, they were counting on a prolonged war. So in their minds, they were going to build this line. It would hold up the big armies. They would then be able... It took their troops two to three weeks to assemble. So in two to three weeks, they could assemble at the northern edge of the, of the Maginot Line. Well, the Maginot Line protected them there. Then they, their troops could assemble and they could fight and defend their borders at Belgium and whatnot, etc. And it was perfect, except for the Germans figured out how to, how to beat the, the system, okay? And it was a $3 billion boondoggle that was worthless, okay? And sometimes in our efforts to be prepared for the devil, we prepare for him in ways that he will never approach us. And... Um, I was just eating breakfast this morning, and um, I have a bag of walnuts, and it has a clip on it, and the clip that closes the walnuts from spilling or whatnot looks like a mustache. It's a stylized mustache, and we bought it because my son has a mustache, and he liked the stylized mustache. So every time I see that clip, I think of my son. Now, if you ever look at that mustache, you will never recognize my son because his mustache looks nothing like that stylized mustache, okay? If I, if I concentrate on things that I think it's going to be, I will be wasting my time looking at the negative or looking at the faults and not spending my time developing the relationship with the real. I think that those who study counterfeit money, as I understand, they never study counterfeit money. They only study the truth. Okay? Then they can detect it immediately. Okay? You know, growing up, my father had an injury to his vocal cords, and he could not talk above a whisper. And so, how do you manage your children whenever you can't yell? Okay? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> We were on a small farm, and um, he had a distinctive whistle. Now, growing up, I could hear that whistle anywhere. In a shopping area, Sears or whatever, the biggest store at that time, you know. In a shopping area, out in a field, in school. If I heard that whistle, I knew who was there, and I could instantly respond to that. Okay, now... This has been more than 40 years since he had to whistle.
for that purpose. He eventually got his voice back and whatnot. That's a different story. But um, so I have not heard that whistle in a long time. I'm sure that if someone were to play me 20 different whistles and say, okay, pick up your dad's, I don't know that I can pick it out because it's been too long. And those mental pathways that I used have now been trimmed and, and whatever, and that has not been maintained. And I'm not certain that I would recognize that whistle as clearly as I did when I was a kid. I remember walking out in the woods behind, in our farm, and I heard a whistle, and I was with someone, and I said, Dad's calling. And he said, No. You know, I knew what that meant, and I knew what the tone of that whistle was, and that I better reverse my track. If someone were to play a recording, a clear recording of that whistle, I think you would have a guttural response that would be an <laughs> absolute tuning in. Maybe so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, the devil has many diversions, and you know, uh, you know. The red tail, fork tail, well, you know, all that sort of stuff is, is probably one of them. Um, but, um, it, you know, I think it's by spending time with the Heavenly Father that we recognize His voice, His ways, His character. And um, anyway, at the bottom of the page on Sunday's lesson, it says, read Matthew twenty four twenty five which says, listen, I have told you this ahead of time. Okay, that's what the verse says. Okay, it says, read that text. And it says, what can we take away from this that should help us in our faith? Reading the text again. Listen, I have told you this ahead of time. Okay? So, why did Christ tell us as he did? Was it the sound like some people say, I told you so? Okay? Others say, okay, now you're responsible since you've been told. All right? So why did he tell us in advance what was going to happen? In what way? So going to John fifteen, uh, 14... Christ is at the Last Supper. One of the last things he is saying before he says, come on, let's go, get out of here. Let's go to the garden. 14.29 says, you know, he goes through and talks about the Spirit coming. Okay? The Spirit is, the Holy Spirit's going to come, going to help you. He's going to be my presence. I'll be with you always. Um, in this discourse, Christ speaks a lot about obedience and love. He also speaks about the Holy Spirit's functions. Okay, And then in 1429, he says, I have told you this now before it all happens. Why? You may what? Believe. What does that word believe mean? What are you to believe? What are you to believe? That the Holy Spirit will come? What are you to believe? The Greek word means to believe or to entrust in someone. Okay? So I read 22 versions of that text this week. It's easy to do. Don't get worried. Um, it's easy to do with a new electronic, you know, you just 
next version, next version, next version, etc. Then I had to get out a book that I don't have an electronic version. This is an American translation. I have told you of it now before it happens, in order that when it happens, you may believe in me. I shall not talk much more with you for the the evil genius of the world is coming. In the um, Amplified Bible, that same passage goes, and now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does take place, you may believe and have faith in and rely on me. Okay? So, um, these are not to tell us about hocus-pocus things so we can get the charts and get them all right. Okay? I don't think we'll have a chart that's all right. With all due respect for those people who make wonderful charts that I like to read and think about. All right. So, let's go to Monday's lesson. Enduring to the end. Sounds bad, doesn't it? The text of the day were was Matthew 24, 9, and Revelation 13, 11 through 17. An excerpt from these passages, 24, 9 says, Then you will be arrested and handed over to be punished, to be put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. 13 through, I mean, 11 through 17 is off along, so I pulled out verse 15, Revelation 13, 15. The second beast was allowed to breathe life into the image of the first beast so the image could talk and put to death all those who would not worship it. And um, reading the first paragraph on Monday's lesson, it says, Christ's concern for his people in the end time includes a global deception that causes nations to oppose the true faith and to impose a false worship on the world. Those who stand firm will face hatred, tribulation, and even death. Is Christ Going back to my first statement, is Christ really concerned about a global deception? No. He's concerned about his people. Okay? And so, whatever comprehension they are in, he's concerned about his people. God's children at the end times will not face anything that his children haven't faced before. Have people people been killed before? Yes. Have people been tortured before? Yes. Don't read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It'll give you nightmares. Okay? People have done terrible things before. Whatever the human body can stand has been done. Okay? Maybe it will not be to the extent or the globalness of it or whatever, but I can assure you that those Christians who are currently in Syria right now suffering persecutions because of their faith will suffer nothing worse than what they're going through right now. They can't. They're dying as it is. So Christ is concerned that I am ready for what may happen to me and to put my trust in him. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do and he will show you the right way. He doesn't tell us bad things about the future to make us worry or fret. Fear is not part of his kingdom. He knows the future. We are to put our trust in him. This will take endurance. So how do you increase endurance? 
Exercise. Exercise what? So, okay, in running, okay, I run for a living, no, for, um, for my health. Um, I've got a treadmill. I'm trying to get 8,000 miles on it before by the end of the year. And I've got 7,300 and something miles on it now. And um, it's acting up. And so when I run faster or, or longer than a certain amount, it just freezes up. The bad part about it is if I've got a pace that's too fast, it won't slow down. And so I have to turn it off and wait and let it cool off and turn it back on and whatnot, etc. So that's in running. And so at one time I was trying to run in a marathon and I got up to 18 miles and thought it was doing bad things to my body. So I quit preparing for the marathon. Um, but how you get better at running is you run a lot. How you get better at swimming is you swim a lot. How you get better at reading, you read a lot. How you get better at praying is you pray a lot. How you get better at walking with him is you walk a lot. Enoch. Enoch is just my idol. You know? And the few little passages we have about Enoch are just precious. Because how did he do it? Most of the things that you mentioned, an additional piece is that usually people have to have coaches to get better. Someone to explain a better way of doing something, a more efficient way of doing something, like preparing for the Olympics or whatever. And God has given us a coach, too. In spiritual matters, we don't just pray and get faith, you know, faith stronger and stronger. We have a coach that helps us to understand how we can more efficiently spread what we know to others, how we can beat the devil, how we can live more in alignment with Christ's actions. We're not in this all by ourselves. Okay. You know, it's been said that as a professional, whether you are an Olympic athlete, whether you're a violinist, whether you're a surgeon or whatever, it takes 10,000 hours to get good at something, okay? Now, just because you do something lousy for 10,000 hours, I don't think it's going to get better at it, okay? Sometimes some of my residents challenge me. Um, and, you know, you just have to say, okay, no. You need to do something better 10,000 hours, okay? You need to, you know. So, but um, 10,000 hours done well is the, the kind of the, the minimum of what it takes to be good at something. And they've looked across disciplines, whether it's running, whether it's diving or violin or whatever, 10,000 hours doing something well can make you good at it. And I think that's instructive to us in our Christian walk. If I practice being nice to those who have different ideas, I think I might have responded better this past weekend than I did. I need 10,000 more hours of being kind to those. <laughs> yeah, be wary of what you pray for. God may give it to you. First Corinthians uh, 9 verse 27 says, uh, you know, it's enduring. He's talking about enduring. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not, will not be disqualified for the prize. 
So there is some concern. I see a lot of surprise at the end of time. You know, well, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. Get away from me, you evildoers. They apparently thought they were doing things in God's name. And otherwise, he says, you, you know, the people who did good, when did we ever do that in your name? We don't even know we did it. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. You know, so I see a lot of surprise at the end of time. People who are thinking things are, like you said at the beginning, have a, a certain path. They see, they think clearly this is the path. And yet at the end, they're surprised for good or for bad that it wasn't the, the, you know, the way they envisioned it. And here's even Paul, who we consider a stalwart person and a, and a lawyer and smart and capable and, and strong in the midst of persecution and so on. Even he's saying, I need to keep at it. I can't rest on my laurels, so to speak. I can't, I have to keep on doing, getting closer to God myself because just because I'm telling all you how to get there, I might not, you would, but I wouldn't. That would be a, a, a travesty, you know. And there's no point at which you can say, okay, now I've got it, you know, I've figured it out, I'm, I'm good. I have been sick this past week. So Ali ran on Sunday and Monday. They can only put in, so let's put in 25 miles a week, right? And I put in nine. And I haven't run since Monday or whatever. And I, my wife says, you're crazy. You're, you're, te- you're tearing your body down by doing too much, you know, while you're sick, you know. So I stopped. I listened sometimes. Um, so, but when I go back to running this next week, whenever I get well, you know, someone just told me this morning that they had been sick for three weeks or something like that. It took three, three weeks, whatever, to get over this stuff. It's like, oh, great. I don't want to hear that. Um, but um, it will be different because you lose, you know, when I put a cast on a person's arm or a leg, in two weeks, they have lost 50% of their muscle mass and it takes one year to get back. Two weeks immobilization in a cast loses 50% of your strength. It takes, generally, about a year to get that back. So, you know. Anyway, uh, I appreciate your text of endurance. I had three texts that I, I had for endurance. Revelation 1.9, I am John, your brother as follower of Jesus. I am your partner in patiently enduring the suffering that comes to those who belong to his kingdom. I was put on the island of Patmos because I had proclaimed God's word and the truth that Jesus revealed. It was enduring. Revelation 13.10 Whoever is meant to be captured will be surely be captured. Whoever is meant to be killed by the sword will surely be killed by the sword. This calls for endurance and faith in the part of God's people. Now that's talking about something that was happening to them. So they're enduring something that's happening to them, to us. Should we be there? Okay, A text that we often like as a church, because it says other things, Revelation 14.12. It's one of the church's favorite passages about the terrible things that the wicked will be experiencing around the righteous. It doesn't talk about what, what the righteous are experiencing, it's, it's about what's happening around them. And it says, this calls for the endurance on the part of, the, of God's children has nothing to do with what's happening to them. It's, it's the, the world around them they have to be, have endurance for. Okay? All right. So it goes on um, on, on Monday's lesson. Um, and it talks about 
um, staying faithful, down at the, uh, Matthew 24, 27. And there's a last paragraph at the bottom of the page that says, as important as it is to be grounded in, intellectually in the Word of God, according to Jesus, that is still not enough to be able to stand amid the trials that we face. We have to do what we have learned, that is, we have to obey the truth as it is in Jesus. In the parable above, about the builders, the, the foolish builder and the wise builder, in the parable above, both builders heard the sayings of Jesus. The difference between them, between enduring and not enduring, was obeying what Jesus had taught. Why is that? What's the difference between obeying and not obeying? How does that make endurance better? Natural law. Natural law. Your analogy of 10,000 hours of practicing guitar, or 10,000 hours of running, or 10,000 hours of drilling into a femur. And it's the law of exertion, <clears throat> the law of experience. Yeah. It's the way life is designed to operate. It's the way the, the universe is made. Okay? At least the universe, as far as we know it, is made. Okay? I had as my illustration a foreign language. I'm trying to learn Spanish. I've been trying to learn since I was a high school student. Okay? So now I have all these CDs in my car. You know what? The information is on these CDs. I rarely play them. I'm not getting better. Imagine that. And you know what? And the instructions that came with this course says that I not only have to listen to them, I have to say them. The mental tracks for developing proficiency in this foreign language have to be developed by actually doing it, okay? And responding to the questions that this guy is asking me, and, and, you know, que pasa, you know, whatever. Um, you know, and so I have to do it, otherwise I'll never be good, good at it. Um, exactly. Would you be ordering medication for a person they send, you send them home with what you think will help? They come back the next appointment. Did you take any of it? No. Did you do your exercises? No. Are you better? No. I don't want to. I've had a. Yeah, <laughs> I've had a. <laughs> I had a terrible experience yesterday. I spent several hours on. I, d I cannot relate. Why does the one who obeys stand and the one who doesn't obey fall? What difference does obedience make in keeping a person steady in the faith? It's because we, that's how we're made. That's how we learn. That's how we become who we are. It's, it's a natural law. So, anyway. All right. Um, Tuesday, the abomination of desolation. Gone. Um, Wednesday. <laughs> I had some things, but whatever, we'll, uh, whatever. Um, Wednesday, the ten virgins. Um, thoughts about the parable. Any thoughts about the ten virgin parable? Well, well again, surprise. <laughs> you know, the, the, the ten virgins all think they're the, going to the, a certain spot. They all slept, okay? They were all Christians, okay? Half of them, only half of them had put in their 10,000 hours and done the work. Okay. So, half of them anticipated 
there might not be a smooth sailing on this journey. Okay? And they prepared for a possible delay. The difference between the wise and the foolish was the amount of oil they'd prepared in advance. Oil reference to the Holy Spirit. Do you buy it? So, whenever they said, we haven't got enough, go buy it. How do you buy it? Investing your time. Do we store it? How? Okay. The bride's coming was a surprise in timing to both groups. Okay. Both groups were wanting him to come. Both groups went out to meet him. I had a passage to read for you, but it's from Christ Object Lessons. And for whatever reason, the website would not let me download it this morning or last night or the whole week. But so anyway, um, I'm sorry. Seems like the bottom line is uh, when they come and he won't open the door, he says, I do not know you. So it's, you know, this relationship. They apparently didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Okay. I was wanting to get to the parable of the talents, but we didn't. We'll check your notes. Yeah, right. My page was the Christ object lessons. Four eleven. There's a passage. The Spirit works, and and it was Christ object lessons. Page four eleven. But just speaking briefly, uh, there's some thoughts for you to think about on the the parable of the talents. You know, the talents were five got to one guy, two to another guy, one to one guy, etc. And um, did the lazy surgeon? That's okay. Did the lazy servant ever agree in principle with the dealings that the master had with him? No. He never knew who he was. You were a hard man. Right. He never came to agreement with what, what, what the master had said. Will the wicked ever see the Lord as being righteous? Will they bow? Yes. Will they ever see him as being righteous? I don't think so. Every... Um, Is it the use of power that will be their ultimate destruction? No. They have so damaged themselves that they will be destroyed. It's not Christ that's that's destroying them. Okay? The single-talent servant didn't use or utilize the benefit of the landowner's goods. Did he waste the resource? Yes, because he didn't use it. God's gifts are to be used. They're not to be stored. Can we give to others our talent or responsibility? What does it mean that he could have taken the talent to the bank? Take it to the bank, get interest from it. How did that work? Could the servant have taken the talent to the bank and gotten anything back? In that realm, yes, but I don't know how that works. So I'd like someone to tell me how that works. So anyway, all right, we better close. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the privilege of walking with you. May we hold on to you and may you hold on to us. May we trust you. May we not jump out of your hands. Amen.